Good morning. Happy Sunday to you. So glad that you're here today. I want to offer a special greeting to our friends from Southeast Missouri State University. It's very, very good to have you back. And honestly, we're just thrilled that everybody is here today to worship and study together. My name is James Green. I'm the teaching pastor here at Cape Bible Chapel. Do me a favor, grab your Bible. Have your Bible with you and join me in the book of 1 Kings, the Old Testament. 1 Kings, right between 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Chronicles. We're going to actually look today at chapter 3 in verses 5 to 15. We're going to hop around in some other places too, so we'll have the verses up on the screen. But I think it's just really helpful to follow along in your Bible. So join me there. Again, I'll say, if you don't have a Bible with you today, please feel free to grab one from the pew there in front of you. You can certainly use that. And I'll make this offer again. If you don't have a Bible, period, happy birthday. That's our gift to you. (laughs) We wanted to get it to you on your birthday, but we didn't know when that was. So take it today and pretend we got it to you on time. If you'd rather follow along electronically, that's great. You can download our Cape Bible Chapel app and use the e-Bible that's on there. And then it's really helpful because you'll also have the ability to access the chapel website and get announcements and stuff like that. Today and next week as well, we're going to talk about decision-making. It's going to be just a little quick two-week series called Great Decision-Making 101. And that's going to happen right before we begin our study of the Gospel of Luke on September 7th. And that's going to take us a long time, so we're going to have a big party to celebrate that or Luke party, after the 10.30 service on the 7th. I hope you can join us for that. But first, we're going to take a couple weeks and talk about making godly decisions. And really, we want to look at this in the context of being a good steward. You've heard that term before, being a good manager of the resources that God gives us. And I was trying to think of an example I could use to to kind of flesh out decision-making. And I came up with kind of a weird one. But it's an example of a really bad decision and then the consequences that came with that. Now, I want to be really, really clear on this. I'm not endorsing any particular movie that I'm getting ready to mention by name, okay? You all with me on that? It's not an endorsement. In 1978, a company called Universal Pictures made a movie called Animal House. When they made this movie, they tried to cast a bunch of big-name comedic actors at the time, guys who were on Saturday Night Live. And so they asked Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and John Belushi to be in this movie. John Belushi was the only one who wanted to do the movie. So now they've got this movie they've pitched, and Universal's worried there's not going to be any buzz about the cast. So a guy named John Landis, who was the director of the film, went on to become a real successful guy in Hollywood. He calls up the studio, and he says, hey, maybe I can get my buddy Donald Sutherland to be in this movie. Now, you may know Donald Sutherland as Kiefer Sutherland's dad, but in the 1970s, Donald Sutherland was a movie star. He was a big, big deal. And so Landis approaches him, And he gives him the script, says, hey, will you be in this movie? And Sutherland hates it. (laughs) He hates the script. He says, no, I don't want to be in the movie. But Landis wanted him in so bad, he said, okay, I'll tell you what. I can shoot all your scenes in two days. Only be two days of work for you. And I'll pay you $35,000, 1978 money, and I'll give you 15% of the gross profits from the movie. Not the net profits, 15% of the gross Sutherland still hated the movie. He said, I don't want to do it, but I'll tell you what, I think it's going to bomb, so let's negotiate. And Sutherland negotiated a flat fee. He said, you pay me 50 grand for my two days. I don't want any of the percentage. Now here we sit today, and and we look back, we know that was a pretty popular movie. It's a huge success. And so if Sutherland had taken that initial deal, 35K plus the 15%, he would have made in 1978 in the neighborhood of $20 million for his two days' work. 
Instead, he made 50000 I mean, that's, that's good money. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, that turned out to be a pretty bad decision on Sutherland's part, didn't it? To this day, if somebody does an interview with him and they ask him about that, he stops the interview. <laughs> he doesn't want to talk about it. I can understand. There's a big difference between $20 million and $50,000. And I think there's a big difference when we look at the lives of good decision-makers and poor decision-makers, right? And sometimes it can feel huge. It can feel like a chasm about that big. And so here's the reality. This is what we're going to focus on today. When we look around, I think the biggest difference we see between people who live abundant lives, between people who experience joy and invest in healthy relationships and who are good stewards, and those who don't, I think the big difference is not often what we think. It's really not all about who makes the most money. It's not all about good health or or ridiculous talents or intelligence or good looks. Hear me on this. The big difference between those two kinds of people is wisdom. It's the ability to make really, really good decisions. I was researching this this week, and a lot of the stuff was fascinating. It really was. And I found a study, it was a psychological study, said on average, I guess you'd say the average person, makes about 70 conscious decisions each and every day. Everything else we accomplish, we do out of habit. You probably don't think about the way you drive home from work. It's just a habit. But normally we make about 70 real decisions. So 70 a day times 365 days, that's 25,550 decisions a year. Your average lifespan is 72 years. That's 1,839,600 decisions that we're going to make in a lifetime. You ever heard that old saying, life is the sum of our choices? When you look at the statistics, it sounds pretty accurate, doesn't it? And so with all those decisions to make, it's obvious every now and again we're going to make a bad one. I hope it's not as bad as Donald Sutherland's, but we're going to make them, right? And if you make a bad decision, it can have ramifications and consequences for a long time. I remember, well, I've made a lot of bad decisions, but I remember making one in particular. This was years ago. My dad moved away as soon as I graduated high school, and he moved to Florida. And then years later, he moved back. Although for the life of me, I don't know why anybody would move away from Florida. But he moved back, and when he did, he called me, and he said, hey, can I forward my mail up to your address while I'm transitioning? And I rushed to a judgment. I didn't think it through real clearly. And I just said, yeah, sure, you're my dad. Not a big deal. Well, here's the problem. My dad's name is James Edward Green. (laughs) And my name (laughs) is James Edward Green, Jr. You don't have to use the junior. I appreciate it if you don't. But here's the deal. Now all the mail that's coming into my house says James Green, but which one of us is it? And literally, it took like three or four years before we got the mail straight. I'm still getting stuff from the American Association of Retired People, although maybe that is for me now. I don't know. It took a long time to get the mail straight. So I made a poor decision with the mail thing, right? One down, only 1,839,599 to go. This is why we're going to pause and take a couple weeks and talk about decision-making and stewardship because this is important. If you're a Christ follower here today and you want to live an abundant life, you want to live the kind of life God desires for us to lead, then it's going to come, hear me, totally by God's grace, but in the decisions that we make through making wise decisions. And I think this is so valid right here kind of at the start of the school year. Because most folks I know, we kind of work off the school year calendar. And so now we can kind of start this season on a clean slate. 
if we, if we figure out how to make good decisions, we can set ourselves up in this process to ingrain some good habits and to really experience abundance and benefit from being good stewards. And today, next week, I'm going to kind of focus on the decisions we make as a church family. Because right now, there's lots of activities. There's lots of opportunities available all around us. And I want us to take these couple weeks and ask, what kind of decision-making process am I going to go through to figure out how to engage here at Cape Bible Chapel? This fall, am I going to find ways to serve where I could use the gifts that God has given me, use those resources for his glory? This fall, will I choose to use my financial resources wisely and invest in the kingdom? And if we ask those kind of questions, then it's going to require us using some of our 70 real decisions a day, right? And so we're going to talk about a procedure that'll help us with those decisions and then all the other ones we make as well. Now, before we jump in, I want to talk specifically about stewardship just for a second so we can all be on the same page. Because for a lot of us, when we hear that word stewardship, we immediately think about money, don't we? And God's word has a lot to say specifically about how we manage our money. But I want us to realize the reality of stewardship is even bigger than that. It's a lot bigger than money. In the Bible, Stewardship deals with decisions we make about the spiritual responsibilities God has given us. This is a big deal. So from the very beginning of the Bible, God creates the world. He gives Adam and Eve authority over it to subdue the earth and rule over it, it says. So God gives our first parents and then all their descendants this responsibility to manage the physical resources of the earth, and that's stewardship. And he gave us that authority because he made people in his own image, but then you got to ask the question, so is the earth ours? Look at Psalm 24 in verse 1 up here on the screen. Here David writes, no, (laughs) the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. So you see, we're not owners of the world. We are stewards. We're managers who are held accountable to God. Now you read throughout the Gospels, and Jesus is always teaching, and many of the lessons were about stewardship. And if you look at those and break them down, the big takeaway from all those teaching is a lot of them indicate it's not the quantity of our possessions, our stuff, or our wealth that's so important to God. That stuff is actually much less important to God than the quality of our character. And that's displayed in the decisions we make. All of them. So stewardship isn't just about money. But I think one of the reasons we identify stewardship with money is because you read those accounts in the Gospels, and God often gauges our readiness to handle real big spiritual responsibility by assessing how we use money and our resources. It's kind of a test. So real stewardship involves decision-making. It's about being faithful and trustworthy in all of our spiritual responsibilities. So let me be clear on that. Stewardship's way bigger than money. Stewardship's about making good decisions. Decisions that bring God the glory that he's worthy of. That's what it's about. The Apostle Peter actually sums this up really well in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. You look at these verses, and Peter explains how we're supposed to apply this big picture concept of stewardship in our lives. He says, as each one has received a spiritual gift, this is for every Christ follower. We get at least one spiritual gift, a special gift, he calls it. He says, employ it in serving one another. How? As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He's talking about stewardship and not money, right? 
So he gives us a couple of examples of things we can decide to manage well. And they're pretty cutting. He says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here's the stewardship test. You don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to raise your hands. You're probably not going to want to. But ask this question. Whenever we speak, are we making a conscious decision with everything we say to glorify God? Ouch. Whenever we serve, are we making a trustworthy choice about honoring God with stewardship of the resources that he gives us? Are we honestly just saying, man, I don't even want to serve. (laughs) I'd rather go fishing. I'd rather play golf. I'd rather watch TV. I'd rather do something that's about my own comfort rather than being a good steward of these resources that God has given us. And here's the real beauty of that situation. I'm just being honest. Because being a good steward in that moment that you have a chance to serve doesn't mean you'll never fish or golf or watch TV again. I mean, there's lots of waking hours of the day to squeeze that stuff in. But I'm just telling you right now, if you want to experience joy, If you want abundant life that God desires for you, there's more joy in serving. There's more joy in godly decision-making than I've ever gotten from watching TV, than I've ever gotten from playing golf, even if I play really well. I don't fish, so I don't know that I can compare those two, but I'm going to say even better than fishing. This is a tough message. I know it is, because we're all going to struggle in this area, every one of us, because we're selfish people. And we won't just fall into making good decisions. Unless we purpose to do it, we won't. This is why we're intentionally addressing this today. We need to understand that. We're not going to just naturally drift towards making good decisions without being purposeful about it. And this is why we're going to look at Solomon. He's universally recognized as the wisest guy ever. And in the Bible, here's what he says in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. The foolishness of man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. That's why we take great decision-making 101, right? Because we're not going to luck into good decisions because we're foolish and selfish. And Solomon is the man we're going to look at here in 1 Kings today because he's going to be an example in this text of how to make a good decision. We see later in his life he's, he's an example of how to make bad ones. Here he makes a great one. In this text, we catch Solomon. He's a young man, and he's been given a huge stewardship. He's been given a really, really big trust. He's just taken over the leadership of the entire nation of Israel. It's a big job. And Solomon very wisely realizes, hey, I'm in way over my head. But then God, in his amazing grace, gives Solomon this phenomenal opportunity. We're going to pick it up there in verse 5 of 1 Kings 3. Here's the story. It says, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, And God said something amazing. I hope we pause and recognize. He said, ask what you wish me to give you. Solomon said, you've shown great loving kindness to your servant David. He's my father. According as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. Then he goes third person. He says, you've reserved for him this great loving kindness that you've now given him a son to sit on his throne as it is to this day. And then Solomon means business. He says, now, Lord, my God, You've made your servant king in place of my father David. 
yet I'm but a little child. He says, I don't know how to go out or come in. Now Solomon says he's a little child, but really that's just a humble way to talk about his youth and his inexperience. King David is probably about 70 years old when he died, and so when Solomon becomes king, he's most likely between, between like maybe 20 and 30 years old. So it's not like he's eight or something. He's just young. But his real issue here is that he doesn't know what to do. And, and we see this in the last part of verse 7. He says, I don't know how to go out or come in. And that was a phrase that was associated with leadership back in the day. He's crying out, I don't know how to do this job. I, I don't know how to be the king. So God's saying, well, ask whatever you want. And Solomon explains, I'm lost here. So look at verses 8 and 9, because this is great. Here's the decision that Solomon makes. He says, your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen. This is stewardship right here. They're not his people. They're God's people. It's a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Solomon gets stewardship. And here God does something unheard of. He says, hey, Solomon, I'm writing you a blank check. You can have whatever you want. And Solomon chooses very wisely. Makes a great decision here. He decides to ask God for the wisdom to make every other decision he's ever going to make wisely. 70 a day, 25,550 a year, that's what he wants. He asks for wisdom. He doesn't treat this like, you know, finding the ancient lamp and rubbing it and the genie pops out like we do. You hear those stories, and, you know, the first thing you always ask for is a gazillion dollars, you know. And then you ask for perfect health. And then you come to that last wish, and you ask for infinite wishes. That's what we'd do. Solomon doesn't do that. He seeks wisdom. He asks for the ability to make good decisions. He wants to be a trustworthy steward. And check this out, this next verse, because this is amazing. The start of God's response in verse 10. It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing, duh. But we understand this plays out today as well, right? Because it pleases God when we make good decisions. Now look at the rest of God's response, verses 11 to 14. God said to him, because you've asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies or infinite wishes, but you've asked for yourself discernment, and understanding justice. Behold, he says, I've done according to your words. Behold, I've given you a wise and discerning heart so that there's been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. Now watch this in verse 13. I've also given you what you've not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. Then he throws in a condition, and this trips Solomon up later. It says, if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes, commandments, as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. So let me try to explain how I think we see this play out in our lives when we make godly decisions, when we choose to pursue wisdom instead of comfort or selfishness. If we're good stewards, then generally other aspects of abundant life will follow that. Now, let me be really clear on this. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel here. This is not a guarantee of a fabulous life if we make good decisions. God's ways are higher 
than our ways. God can use anything to teach us. And we know from his word, he allows trials. He allows tribulation because those things help us grow. Those things teach us how to persevere. So there's going to be times in our lives where we make good decisions and we'll still face trials, okay? You've got to understand that. I'm just saying, big picture, generally, financial well-being will follow people who are good stewards because of how the decision-making process works. Because people who make wise decisions work hard and save well and give generously and they're not trapped by debt and all those things work together. They're all circumstances of good decision-making. People we know who are good stewards receive honor. All the praise goes to God, but they receive recognition because wise decision-makers have integrity and they're fair. Those things work together. I think if we're honest, we notice good stewards often find success in their vocation, in their job. Why? Because generally, they make good decisions. They manage their time really well. They're real intentional about using their gifts and their abilities and their talents and their resources, and they keep learning and growing. All those things come from desiring to make godly decisions. This is what happened to Solomon, and it's what happens to us. One decision in our life affects another, and our lives become the sum of the decisions we've made. And we thank the Lord that there's grace for when we make bad decisions. But here the text says making good ones pleases the Lord. And here's the decision we need to make, the most important decision other than putting our trust in Jesus. Solomon leads with it. It's really no surprise then he's going to share this thought from Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, the beginning of wisdom is, get wisdom. <laughs> Acquire wisdom, he says, and with all your acquirings, get understanding. And what he's saying is, even if it costs you everything, it's worth it. Get wisdom. So again, with stewardship in mind, and selfishly, I'm thinking about decisions here at the chapel, because this is where God has me. Over the next few weeks, let's spend the rest of this time together asking how are we going to apply this lesson? Because there are tons of opportunities right now to put this into practice. You can leave here today and you'll walk out in the lobby and there's tables where you can sign up for a men's or women's Bible study. What kind of decision are you going to make? Are you going to invest in your spiritual growth? Walk out of here right now. There's a table in the lobby. Sign up for small groups. Will we invest in community? Will we sign up to bear burdens together? Every week we talk about this make initiative, this discipleship thing that God's put on our hearts. You can sign up online for that. Will you invest in doing life together? Will we find ways to serve? Will we be good stewards of the spiritual gifts that God has given us? Will we partner financially with the church? Will we partner with missions locally, globally? Will we partner in prayer with this body? Look at all these real decisions that we have to make. And those are just the ones here at the chapel, right? I mean, that's only going to be a couple out of your 70 decisions every day. You've still got to make the ones you've got to make at home and at school, as a student, as a parent, all these things. That's why we're looking at this. So, so how do we make great decisions? How do we make God-honoring decisions? Well, I've got five points on your outline. Let's spend a little time looking at each one of these and hopefully deciding how we're going to do these in our lives. And I think the very first one is the big one. We have to pray the Solomon prayer. 
We need to stop when a decision comes up and pray and ask for wisdom. This is not just an Old Testament thought. In the New Testament, in the book of James, you see the same notion. James chapter 1 and verse 5 explains, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Solomon says earlier in the Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. You know, it's, it's the idea of this awesome reverence of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. We've got to understand godly wisdom is not possible without God. But then the application is once we begin that relationship with God, it's by grace and through faith in Jesus, then the beginning of wisdom is ask for it. Ask God for wisdom. He'll give it to you. This plays out, I think, so often in our lives. Because if we'll be objective and look at it, we walk around and we say, well, I want to get wisdom because I want to know what God's will is for my life. But we'll ask, and then we kind of get goofy about the decision-making. Like, well, if I make this wrong choice, then I'm not going to be in God's will and it's going to be all over. Listen closely to me on this one because this is big. Godly decision-making is critical. It's crucial. But God's primary will for our lives is not simply the things we do. It's not simply the decisions we make. God is much more concerned about the person that we become. I think this is why Solomon gets so ridiculously blessed when he seeks wisdom. God's primary will for our lives isn't situational. It's not circumstantial. It's not did I pick the right school or the right job or the right spouse. God's desire is that we would become more and more and more and more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. God's interested in our character. Now, if that sounds opposed to godly decision-making, it's not. Because we have to understand, sometimes God's will is for us to make a decision. (laughs) He wants us to decide because the decision-making is this indispensable part of character formation. Now, you get a, a pass on this if you're a parent. I guarantee you already know this. You understand if you're raising kids, the idea isn't, hey, I'm going to raise my kids until they're like 70. They're going to live in my house, and I'm going to make all their decisions for them. It's not the way it works. It's not what we're supposed to do. The goal of parenting isn't to have your kids forever and make all their decisions. It's not just to protect and shelter. It's to raise them to be adults. (laughs) As parents, we're supposed to equip our kids and train them, and to do that, they have to make decisions. If we want our kids to be people of great character and wisdom and discernment, they're going to have to have the opportunity to make some decisions, right? I hope I'm not spoiling anything for you, but they're going to get some wrong. They're going to mess some up, and that's okay. It really is, because that's the way we learn. But for our kids, for us, for all of us, when we make a decision, first step we've got to do is ask for wisdom. Number two, when we're praying this Solomon prayer and we're asking for wisdom, we need to pray for God's peace in the decision-making process. Because this is really important. I hope you've noticed this. If you're ever in a bad frame of mind, if you're anxious or you're exhausted or you're tired, what, what kind of decision do you normally make? Make a good one or a poor one? They're going to be poor, aren't they? In my life, I've read and studied a lot about addiction recovery because of my own battles and then to help me in counseling situations. And Alcoholics Anonymous uses this acronym that's really helpful. It spells out the word HALT, 
H-A-L-T. I said, don't make decisions if you're experiencing any combination of these HALT feelings. It stands for hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. AA says if you make a decision in that state, it's going to be a bad one. You know where AA got that wisdom? You do. (laughs) It's the Bible. (laughs) The Apostle Paul talks about this so many times. One of them specifically is in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He explains, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we're going to make good decisions, if we're going to be good stewards, we need that peace from God to rule our hearts and our minds. You can ask yourself. You can look at the Bible or you can look in your own life. Have you ever seen anybody make a great decision based on fear or exhaustion or being angry? No. never happens. We need to pray for God's peace to be an encouragement to us in the decision-making process. Okay, number three, we've got to have some vision. We've got to be able to count the long-range costs and, and be able to maybe see the long-range benefits that will result from our decisions. This is the one that I messed up so badly on with my dad's mail. One of the most common themes in the book of Proverbs, and Solomon writes so many of them, is not to make hasty decisions. Don't rush quickly to judgment. One of my favorites is Proverbs 19 and verse 2, which reads, Also, it's not good for a person to be without knowledge, and he who hurries his footsteps errs. You guys play chess? I love chess. You play chess, the idea is you've got to be able to see a few moves ahead. You always have to be thinking about what's going to be the consequence if I move this piece or don't. And I think in our decision-making, we need to do that. We don't don't want to immediately jump to the thing right in front of us and make that move because there may be serious consequences. We don't want to look just at the immediate picture. We've got to be able to see long-term. And that's something that we have to be purposeful about. So when a decision-making opportunity comes up, can we not be in such a hurry? Can we not look for that quick fix thing that's going to make us happy? And instead, can we ask God, hey, I'm going to pray the Solomon prayer. I need wisdom. I need you to put me in the right frame of mind where I have peace. And then say, God, can you help me see the big picture here? Can you help me see what the ramifications of my choice are going to be beyond just the immediate consequences? I think it would be great to ask God, can you show me how this decision will help me become the person you want me to be next week (laughs) or next year or 10 years from now? It's a real important question. Number four, and I believe this can go along with number three, we need to seek wise counsel. We need to surround ourselves with people whose stewardship and character we trust. People who love us, and then we need to go to them and say, hey, i got a decision to make. What do you think I should do? When you speak into my life in this area, I think so very often God speaks wisdom into us through other people. I thank God. I praise God every day for my wife in that area. I don't know that I would have made a good decision in the last 18 years without her. You've got to listen to Solomon on this. Here in the Proverbs in chapter 12, 15, he says this, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. That's the notion of having 
a teachable spirit. That's so crucial in getting wisdom. Can I give you some free advice? I know what most people do with free advice, but I'm going to ask you to trust me on this one. Would you trust that I want the very best for you in this? Please, find somebody that you trust who will give you wise counsel and meet with them. Meet with them at least once a month, but better if you did it more often. And when you meet with them, ask them how you're doing. (laughs) This could happen for you in the Make Initiative. You could find somebody to go to and say, will you speak wisdom in my life? Will you tell me how I'm doing on this pursuit to become the person God wants me to be? Will you ask me tough questions about my soul? I know it's free advice, but, but we'll be better off if we have somebody like that in our lives. King Solomon becomes one of the greatest violators of Proverbs 12, 15 later in his life. The Bible says he married 700 wives. He had 300 concubines. And what do you know? That was a poor choice. His wives led him astray. No kidding. Here's a little piece of wisdom for you. Don't marry a thousand wives. <laughs> if you don't do that, you're already one step ahead of the smartest guy who ever lived. But here's the question. Don't you think if Solomon did this, if he had a guy, somebody who really loved him, who could speak into his life, don't you think that guy would have said, man, Solomon, I'm going to a lot of your weddings. (laughs) I don't think this is going to turn out so well. We need to seek wise counsel. And finally, number five, we've got to trust God, and then we've got to make a decision. We can't be paralyzed by this process and then never make decisions. We've got to act. We've got to trust God and then choose. And the research I was looking at this week, it was a secular study, indicated there are two general styles in decision-making. There are maximizers and satisfiers. I think with just a little test, you can figure out exactly where you land on this. Maximizers are people who have to make the very best decision. Good decision won't do has to be the optimal decision. But a satisfier is somebody who's okay with, you know, just making a good enough decision. Now, you want a simple test to tell which one you are? Let's say, hypothetically, I lock you in a room. And in there, all there is is a couch and a flat-screen TV and a remote. And you turn on the TV, and you figure out that there's 400 channels. If you're a maximizer, what are you going to do? You're going to look at 400 channels. You're, you're going to look at every one of those because you want to make the very best decision. I'd hate to be watching Duck Dynasty when I could have been watching the NFL. You know, whatever. You, you, you're going to make the optimal decision. But you know what a satisfier will do? They'll just flip channels till they find something they like and they'll put the remote down. <laughs> it doesn't have to be the best decision. Good enough will work. Anything that piques their curiosity will be fine. So which kind of decision maker are you? And you got to know, if you're a maximizer, it can be tough for you to make a decision because you think, oh gosh, I might make the wrong one. But you got to be aware of this. If a decision needs to be made and you don't make one, somebody else will choose for you. There are times that we have to decide. So get wisdom. Know who you are and develop this process so that we can make good decisions, so that we can become who God wants us to be. We need to do this. Let me close with this thought. Because I know that last point can scare a lot of us. 
But up to this point, we've really been talking about sanctification. We've been talking about things that we engage with when we're on our journey with God as we move towards Christ-likeness. It's been for Christ followers. But if you're sitting here today and you've never chosen to accept the free gift of a relationship with God, comes by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then you're sitting here and thinking, man, what am I doing in decision-making 101? I've already made a decision. It was a bad one. I made a decision. It was so bad, now it's too late for me. God doesn't care about my character or who I'll become because of this bad decision. I broke my marriage contract. I had a public sin. It was so bad, fractured everything about my life. I alienated my parents or my children. It's so bad it can't be repaired. If that's where you are, I want you to hear me on this. That bad decision didn't doom you. Even if it was a series of bad decisions, it's not too late for you. Because God doesn't redeem us and reconcile us and restore us to a relationship with him based on the quality of the decisions we make. Thank God. God saves us by his grace. We're saved by the grace of God. We will never make a decision so bad that God can't forgive us if we're willing to confess it and ask for forgiveness. And I'm confident in saying this because in the gospel accounts, the very end of Jesus' life, our Savior is hanging on the cross. We're introduced to a couple guys. One of them has made a lot of bad decisions. Maybe 70 every day. Maybe 25,550 a year. He's a corrupt thief. But the last conscious decision that he ever makes is the most important one. You see this in Luke 23, verses 39 to 43. One of the two criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at Jesus, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other criminal answered and rebuking me said do you not even fear God since that's the beginning of wisdom he says since you're under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed are suffering justly for we're receiving what we deserve the consequences of our poor choices this man has done nothing wrong and he was saying pay attention here because here's a great decision this guy aces decision-making 101 right here. He was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. So that's the wisest decision any of us will ever make. We're going to close our time together by taking communion today. You showed up here for Decision Making 101. I'm going to tell you as we leave, we need to put these things we've studied into practice. We need to become engaged in this process of becoming more and more of who God desires for us to be. Because of the decisions we make, we need to show character and trustworthiness. We need to be purposeful. So we're going to come back to Decision Making 101 next week. But today, let's just be obedient to this command that we see in the Scriptures to observe the Lord's Supper. Because when we do that, we can be reminded of what God has done for us as Christ followers through Jesus Christ. 
So we're going to take this intentional time to examine our hearts. And we're, we're going to be able to confess all the poor decisions we've ever made, all our sin, and we can be forgiven. We can be right with God. And this is one of your first times here at the chapel. If you're a Christ follower, we invite you to join. This is most certainly the Lord's Supper. It's not ours. And so the elements are here on the table all around the room. Jeff's going to come and, and the praise team, they're going to they're going to play some music, and there's going to be some response time for you to do what Scripture says, to examine your heart, confess your sin, be right. And when you're ready, come and partake. It's the Lord's Supper. But first, let me pray for our time here and for the bread and the cup. Daddy, thank you for the opportunity to dig into your word, to, to talk about decision-making. God, burden our hearts to pray for wisdom. God, so that we can look at every decision that we have to make and ask, is that the thing, God, that's going to bring you the most glory? God, help us to do that. Help us pray for wisdom. Help us pray for peace as an encouragement. God, help us to seek out wise counsel. God, help us to be able to see long range the benefits or the consequences of the decisions we make. And God, then help us just to trust in you and to make the decision where you get the glory, because you're so worthy. God, we love you, and we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.